Today, we are continuing with this theme of return and reflect. Return and reflect. Uh, to look back as we move forward together. And so, last week we started looking at the story of Israel's return from exile. Uh, it's told in Ezra and in Nehemiah. We read in Ezra chapter 3 where the foundation of the temple was relayed and the people celebrated with shouts of joy. But also, they responded with loud weeping. And as we considered this, we saw that in order to move forward into the future, we have to take time to also look back toward the past. And in order to truly celebrate this season with joy, we must also take time to grieve the things that have been lost. And yet we and our culture are often so averse to grieving. And so last week, we reflected on some things that we need to grieve as we move forward. And so some of you wrote on the sheets on the, the walls here in this room. Uh, others texted in responses, which were added to the sheets there. Um, and so you uh, probably can't see any of that from where you're sitting. It's, you know, really tiny, but I'll put it up on the screen anyways. You can go peruse the uh, sheets on the side after. Um, but, but these are the things that were written and, and received last week as we reflected on this together. And, and once again, as I looked through it, there were just some themes that began to come up uh, that I noticed. Uh, and so as I looked through the responses of what we need to grieve, there are a few things that I saw. Uh, there was societal grief, social grief, and spiritual grief. So some of the responses considered societal things that need to be grieved. One reflection shared, we have to acknowledge how we have been racist grown, and grow into a people who are not just not racist, but actually work at being anti-racist. Another shared that we need to grieve the loss of civil discourse, the loss of respect, compassion, and kindness for people we disagree with or don't understand. So these couple of responses re reflect some societal fractures over the past year that we've experienced and seen and that, that we need to grieve so that these things can be healed. Some other responses reflected on social things that need to be grieved. Several people wrote about disconnection from family, friends, from the church. Also, the, the loneliness and the isolation and the depression that can come from these experiences that we've had over the past year. This social grief. And then uh, another thing that I saw were some spiritual things that need to be grieved. One response said, we need to grieve our disconnectedness as a church family, not really knowing each other, and our lack of sharing where God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit are at work. Another wrote, we need to grieve our shallowness and learning to love God, each other, and even ourselves. 
And there's another response that even pondered the question, how do we walk with each other beyond Sunday and actually live Jesus together? And so these are some of the responses, some of the themes that I noticed from last week. And, and so these responses are incredible, deep, uh, many are very vulnerable. And so I just want to say thank you as we continue in this time of reflecting and, and sharing together. And so whether societal, social, or spiritual, there is a whole lot for us to consider and grieve and, and hold before God to ask for healing and direction as we enter this time of returning and, and rebuilding. And that is the theme all throughout Ezra and Nehemiah, rebuilding. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Nehemiah, uh, the book of Nehemiah. We're actually going to be reading from chapter 8 in uh, a moment, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. But first, I, I want to give you a bit of an overview of everything that leads up to this chapter. And so the first thing that I'll remind you of as we, as we uh, enter into this, and I mentioned this last week, is that Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book uh, that's been sort of split up into two volumes in the Bible, just like many of the first and seconds that we have throughout the Old Testament. Samuel, Kings, uh, Chronicles, right? These are one book that each were, were split into two volumes, probably because, you know, the scrolls only got so long, right? And so they had two different scrolls or something like that. But the same was true of Ezra and Nehemiah. They, they tell one story, but they're split into two different things. However, Ezra and Nehemiah are not exactly a traditional book. Uh, it's not just a single narrative that unfolds over it, but rather it's sort of this collection of historical census records, of legal correspondence, personal memoir. Uh, Nehemiah actually starts off with I, right? We don't have a whole lot of, of biblical literature that, that's told from first person, uh, but Nehemiah is at, at the beginning. And then there is uh, the, this sections where there's narrative. And so with all of these elements together, Ezra and Nehemiah tell this overarching story of the people's return from exile and rebuilding their life together. And so last week we looked at Ezra chapter 3, and we saw the laying of the temple's foundation and the people's response. And then the rest of Ezra uh, begins to tell the story of the rebuilding of the temple on that foundation as the people prepare to worship together again. And then we get to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah kind of zooms out and gets an even bigger picture. Uh, it, it doesn't only look at the temple and its foundation, but it looks at the city of Jerusalem and its walls. And so Nehemiah, at the beginning of the book, arrives in Jerusalem, and he begins inspecting the walls, and he organizes people to come together and rebuild. And along the way, there are all these moments where they face opposition. They have to overcome these different plots against them to prevent the rebuilding. But ultimately, in, in Nehemiah chapter 6, it says, uh, let's see, I think I have this on the screen, 6.15, it says, The wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. 
For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I love that. And so the people have returned, the temple has been rebuilt, and the walls have been restored, and everyone is settled into their homes. And you would think, man, this would be a great place for the story to end. You know, woohoo, we did it, right? We, we came back together, we rebuilt on and on. But there's more to the story. In fact, one Bible scholar wrote that all the rest of Ezra and Nehemiah is really leading to this point in the story. All of that other, other stuff was just sort of the, the, the precursor to, to the real important stuff. But you see, after rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls, comes the real work of rebuilding the people. And that's what we begin to see in Nehemiah chapter 8. And so let's read together. Uh, we'll actually start at the, the very last bit of chapter 7, uh, and then on into Nehemiah chapter 8. Hear the word of the Lord. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel being settled in their towns, all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate, they told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. And this was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Milkaijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam on his left hand. What a great crowd, right? And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, I'm doing my best here, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. And so they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, 
Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites stilled all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this time of returning. We ask that you would guide us as we reflect on where we have been and where you are leading us. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a little over a year ago, just before the pandemic started, Caitlin's parents started the project of renovating and adding on to a home that they had just gotten over on Lake Chelan. And this is the home that they planned to retire in. And so they really wanted to get everything just right. And one of the challenges they faced as they were doing this was sort of integrating the original house that was on the property with the additions that they were trying to add uh, and trying to get it all to fit together and, and work. It was difficult to get it all to happen, but they were excited. Every time we went over there, they would pull out the blueprints and show us and show us the renderings and everything. I mean, it was, it was so fun to, to see all of that. And then the pandemic hit, and the construction just came to pretty much a screeching halt, a slow crawl. Uh, you know, and this is disappointing because they were really hoping to get into this sort of newly renovated and expanded home last summer. Uh, but, you know, everything got put on hold. I mean, everything got put on hold in all of life. But after a while, slowly the construction resumed until the month of June last year. It was about one year ago this week that Caitlin's parents got a call that a fire had started on their property, and the home was completely destroyed, completely burnt to the ground. Everything was gone. And this was devastating. I, I mean, after all they had sort of put into it, the planning, the designing, everything was destroyed. And of course, the initial response is shock and grief. But after all of that, Caitlin's parents had a really great perspective they saw this as a fresh opportunity to rebuild. They, they tossed out those blueprints that they'd been showing us, and, and they started over. And as they made new plans, they no longer needed to work around that original structure that was there. Uh, instead, the, you know, the fire got rid of that, and so now they kind of had this clean slate to, to really build what they wanted from the ground up, to start all over. And since then, you know, we've gotten to see new blueprints and photos of the house coming along. 
and we're all hoping that it might be finished in time to have Thanksgiving in it together this fall. But you see, this pandemic, this past year, has been like a fire that flattened out the busyness of our lives. Everything was canceled. Everything was put on hold. And so our calendars became a clean slate, a whole new thing to start from. And so now we have a fresh opportunity to rebuild. You see, just like the house in Chelan, we no longer have to work around the original structure. As the pandemic took things out of our lives, we now get to choose what kinds of things we want to put back in. What kinds of things we want to rebuild. And this is true of our personal lives, but it's also true of our life together as a church. And so what kinds of things do we want to rebuild? Or maybe a better question, what kinds of things will help to rebuild us as God's people? What kinds of things will help to rebuild us as God's people? I mean, that's the real work that starts to happen here in Nehemiah. And so today, I, I want to consider this incredible scene in Nehemiah chapter 8 that we've just read and just identify a few of the elements that began to rebuild the people of God. So I'll go ahead and, and give you an overview of where we're going, uh, and we'll just take a look at each one of these. In this scene, we see them gathering together, engaging Scripture, choosing leaders— and trusting God. We see them gathering together, engaging scripture, choosing leaders, and trusting God. And so let's consider each one of these together. First, chapter 8 begins with these words, all the people gathered together. Gathering together, right? This is one of the primary marks of God's people. God's people do things together. As I thought about this reality, uh, this image that came to my mind was an, an old traditional church building. You know, think like on the on a countryside or something like that. The kind with a cemetery right next to it, or the baptistry as you walk into the entrance. You know, and all of that shows that God's people live all of life together, right? The baptistry displays new life in Christ that we celebrate. The cemetery displays the reality of death as we depart this life. And so the people of God join together in new birth and also in times of death and, and journey together all along the way between, from life to death. This is what it means to be the people of God. All the people gathered together. And I want to emphasize all the people. Right? Verse 2 elaborates. It says both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. And, and I'd say the New Testament elaborates even further. In Galatians chapter 3, this community of God 
includes Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, all are one in Jesus. And so as God's people, we do not only share in all things, but we also welcome all people across race or gender or social status. All the people is what it says. All the people gather. All the people participate in the life of faith together. And so as we return and reflect, what kinds of things can help us to gather together in these coming months, in this coming season? Right? Sundays continue to be an important part of our life together. But what other ways are there for us to gather and share in life? I mean, over the past year, we've gotten to experiment with a few different things, right? We've experimented with gathering over Zoom and the men's group or on Wednesday evenings with a small group. Along the way, we found ways to connect over our website. Uh, if you kind of remember early on in the pandemic, some weekly posts that would go out each week. Uh, we've, we've done live streams here. Uh, we've done text message response prayers, right? We're, we're experimenting with what this looks like. But what other things might we experiment with in the coming months as we reimagine what it looks like to gather together as God's people? What do our Sunday gatherings look like as, as we can do this more freely and, and, and openly along the way? Because God's people are a people who gather together. What does this look like? It's the first thing we see in this passage. Another element that we see in this scene is engaging in Scripture together. And Scripture is another central piece in the life of God's people. We engage Scripture in order to remember the story of Jesus, the character of God, uh, to learn life in the Spirit. See, the Scriptures remind us who God is and who we are as God's people. And, so, and, and I want you to notice in this scene that the people don't only read the Scripture. They don't only listen to the Scripture. They also respond to it, right? In verses 5 and 6, it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands, and then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, Scripture is not only something that we read and study. It's also something that we respond to and live from. You know, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives what is often called the Great Commission. He says, go make disciples of all nations. There's all the people again. All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what? It says to teach, right? Not exactly. It doesn't say to teach them. It says to teach them to obey. Scripture is not just something to learn. It's something to live. 
We see that in this scene as the people stand and say amen, amen, lift up their hands and bow their faces to the ground. We don't only read scripture, we respond to scripture. And so I'll ask again, as we return and reflect, what kinds of things can help us more deeply engage in scripture together? Again, Sundays are an important part of this. But what other ways might there be for us to reimagine and dig into Scripture together? You know, should we resume Sunday morning class before worship service? Or maybe we keep experimenting with midweek gatherings, whether they're online or in person. Or perhaps we continue to find opportunities to do daily scripture readings together like we did during the We Believe series, right? What kinds of things can we experiment with in these coming days? What kinds of things can help us to more deeply engage scripture so that it becomes part of our lives? Not just something to read, but to respond to and live the people of God engage Scripture. What does that look like for us in these coming days? There's something else that we read in this scene. There's a couple of long lists of names, right? You, you guys watch me struggle through it. One of them is in verse 4, and then another one is in verse 7, it's, which says, they helped the people to understand the law. You see, the people gathered together, and they engaged Scripture, but in order to help them do this, they also chose leaders to help them and guide them along the way. See, the people of God choose leaders not just for the sake of having leaders or some kind of structure in place, but rather they choose leaders to help them pursue and live the mission of God together. This is something that the people of God have always done, and I, I believe as we come out of this pandemic, it might be something that we should do as well. I mean, just think about it. Over the past year or so, in the middle of all of the disruption of the pandemic, our community has experienced quite a few changes. It was about one year ago, a little over a year ago, that Terry retired from her office position here at the church. You guys might remember doing that parade, you know, car parade down the front of her, her house. Totally surprised her. You know, we started honking. I don't know what that was like. You know, and then a little bit later on in the year, uh, Deanna resigned from bookkeeping so she could move to California and take better care of her family. And then just last week, we honored Brent, who was one of our elders, and Kelly as they departed to transition to a new season of their life. And so we've experienced a great deal of change in our own church staff and, and leadership over the past year. And so as we return and reflect, what are the ways that we can appoint and empower new people to help guide us in living the mission of God together.
whether hiring staff, appointing elders, or reimagining leadership altogether. What does it look like to rebuild this part of our life together as God's people? See, as the people returned from exile, they chose leaders to guide them and help them live the life that God called them to. How can we do this in the days ahead? There's one more part of this scene that I want to look at. This, this final part in verse 9. It says, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then again, in, in verse 11, it says, The Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. So the people are there. They're hearing the law, right? The first five books of the Bible read to them. And then they begin weeping. Just like when the temple foundation was being laid. They begin weeping together. Now, it doesn't say why they're weeping. But this time it says that some of those leaders among them say, hey, don't weep. This day is holy to the Lord. And I wonder why it is that they began to be grieved. I kind of wonder if it might be some kind of self-doubt that they had. I mean, you know, they're, they're hearing all of these incredible stories of Abraham and Sarah, of, you know, Isaac and, and Jacob. They're hearing these stories of, of Moses and Aaron and, and Miriam, of, of Joshua and Caleb, you know, going through the desert, delivering out of Egypt, on and on. I mean, these are amazing stories, right? They're hearing all of these stories, and I wonder if they begin to think, man, how could we ever measure up? How could we ever live something so great as that again? Maybe they feel overwhelmed, pressured, or doomed to fail as God's people. And to that, the leaders among them say, Do not mourn. Do not weep. This day is holy to the Lord. In other words, Instead of doubting ourselves, we need to trust in God. We need to trust in God. You see, all of this talk of rebuilding might feel kind of overwhelming. We might find ourselves crushed by fear and doubt as well. But I think of an exchange that Jesus has in Matthew Chapter 16, Peter proclaims Jesus as the Messiah, and then Jesus declares, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. You see, the church belongs to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who builds it. And so it's not up to us to rebuild our, on our own in this coming season. Just like it said in Nehemiah chapter 6 of Jerusalem's wall, may it be said of us 
as God's people. They perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. God is the one who does the rebuilding. And we are joining him in that, in this coming season. And this is really what it comes down to. The kingdom of God, after all, is not ultimately about building temples or walls, but rather building a people. Building a people. Paul says, we are being built into a temple of God. Or I think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount who says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill that can't be hidden. In these coming days, what are the things that we can do, not just to resume what we did before, not just to build up a temple or some walls or some structures or schedules, what can we do to be rebuilt as God's people? To rediscover who we are as the Federal Way Church of Christ. Who are we as God's people? What are these things? And so this is what I want to spend some time reflecting on together today. Just like the last couple of weeks, there's a couple new sheets of paper on the walls. And we have a, a prompt to reflect on. And the prompt is simply this. As we return, what are some things that can help rebuild us as God's people? As we return, what are some things that can help rebuild us as God's people? We've read about a few of them here. Gathering together, engaging scripture, choosing leaders, trusting God. What are some of these things that can rebuild us as God's people? As, as everything in life has been clear, cleared clean this past year, what are the things we want to reintroduce? bring back in. This could be something personally for you, but I also want us to think, what does this look like for us as the church? As we return, what are some things, practices, structures, things that, that we can, that can help rebuild us as God's people? And so over the next several minutes, some music will play. Uh, just like we have the last couple of weeks, there will be some instrumental music to give you some time to reflect and think about this. Uh, and then when you're ready, I invite you to get up and, and go right on the wall. Uh, what, what are some of these things together? Let's, let's do some brainstorming, some, some reflecting here together. Or if you stay seated or are watching online, you can send a response uh, to the phone number there on the screen, and we'll write it down later on. And so we'll have some instrumental music play, and then another song we'll play with the words on the screen uh, before we come to the table. So as we return, what are some things that can help rebuild us as God's people? Let's reflect together.